This is I Doubt It with Dollamore, with hosts Jesse Dollamore and Brittany Page, a podcast dedicated to free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, but most importantly, a good time. Happy Monday, everybody. We're getting a late start here. Episode 88 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, and my lovely co-host, Brittany Page, sits right across from me. Here I am. We, as I mentioned, are getting a very late state start. This is actually January 12th, so we're doing this on Monday. Mm-hmm. We watched the... Well, there was a lot going on today on Sunday. Yes, there, there was. was there were two football games, which mm. Brittany has to watch. She insists on watching NFL playoffs. No, I hope that no <laughs> one believes that because I cannot wait for football to end. It can't end. It's going to have to go on. Any sports. I don't want to see any sports ever again on the TV. Really? Any sp- ever again? When you know at the end of August, college football starts right back up. Uh, no. And... Shh. Yeah. No. It is a good, good mm, time. No. Such a good time. So anyway, we had football today, and then the Golden Globes were on, which of course we watched because we are both not so much into the celebrity hubbub. That that ten, That's a little icky. That's a little gross to me. But it is... Um, I'm a movie guy. A well, movie... and I love I love Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, so... Well, it's... Yeah, well, for sure. But we're also movie nerds. Right. Movie critics i guess right so we like to judge you know the winners that we don't agree with and we yell i think yeah i think i was just gonna say i think i go into it more from the perspective of i i relish the moments that i get to be pissed off because they didn't pick the person or they didn't pick the film that i i feel should have been picked for the award which happened many times today a lot more often than i thought right yeah they boyhood (laughs) This isn't a movie review podcast, so we're not going to do that. But suffice it to say, there were some unhappy campers in the viewing audience mm-hmm. in Orange County, mm-hmm. California. Yes. So listen, 657-464-7609, right off the top of the show. That is the phone number. If you have anything you'd like to add or detract from... <laughs> In uh, anything that is said today, and hopefully I remember to mention the phone number a couple more times. But I listen. I want I, this. There's a few things I want to talk about at the top of the show before we get to anything else. And one is moving forward this year. I want everyone to know that this isn't just our show. This isn't just my show. This is. I want this to be your show too, in the audience. I want. I want this to be. Interactive. Mm-hmm. Well, it's better that way. Well, I think it's be- well. It's not just I want oh call in the voicemail line. That's not what I'm saying. I, I, I'm getting to it slowly and awkwardly. I know, God. Very clumsily, I'm getting there. Let's get on. Let's get on with this. I want this year to be about really moving the conversation forward and talking to a lot of different people about a lot of different things. I've I've thought about doing like man on the street interviews and 
I've had this image in my head of going over to Triangle Square over there and standing out in front of the grocery store and talking to people about different issues. I don't know if that'll work or I don't know. And Triangle Square is a place in Costa Mesa, California, where people go shopping and right. stuff. It's right. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. I was looking at you when I said I don't know why I gave the specific. I just that was in my head. God damn. I'm all over the place today. So anyway, so in the spirit of that, I would listen. If you don't have a Twitter account, what first of all, what the hell are you doing? Because Seriously. It's not just for 13 year old go- girls anymore. No. <laughs> It is a powerful tool of communication in this digital age. Um, Go get yourself a Twitter account. And if there's someone you'd like to have on the show, you could send them a tweet and our show a tweet at the same time, letting them know, hey, go on the show. We'd love to hear from you. And it's an easy way to suggest a topic um, and someone to be on the show. I mean, that's. It's a super powerful tool. So it, it serves two purposes, letting us know and also pressuring that person <laughs> to come on and have a conversation. The other thing is, I really would like this to be a forum for dissent. I know that not there's not one member of the audience, there's not one listener who agrees with me 100% of the time. In fact, based on feedback I've gotten, I know that more often people are going to disagree with me. And that is okay. That in the spirit of what we've, 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 uh, we've created here, that is actually a good thing. Because it goes along with moving the conversation forward. We don't want to exist inside of an echo chamber. So if you disagree, sound off. Use that phone number, 657 657- Four six four seventy six zero nine, And if you think you have a strong, strong argument for something, if you think that you can gather your thoughts well enough to come on, I'll, I'll put you on. I will call you. We'll do an interview and you can dissent the shit right out of me. I think that's a, that's a, a good winning formula going forward for 2015. It sounds great. <laughs> so once again, 657-464-7609. The problem, Brittany, with starting the show after midnight is the fact that I right now am hungry. Mm. <laughs> I'm very hungry. Mm-hmm. And I hope it doesn't lead to an abbreviated show where I'm just rushing to get through because I'm starving. Which, you know, it's interesting. I wonder how many how many people are like me in that decisions that they make on a daily basis are driven around food. Because I'm... Someone posted on Facebook the other day about being a foodie and they hate that word. And I'm not really a fan of the word either. But it's like saying you like music. Everybody likes music. Everybody likes food. Well, I think the word foodie is meant to talk about like someone who's uppity about food. Yeah. Well, I, I don't I wouldn't consider myself uppity uppity, although I know people who would consider me uppity. Mm-hmm. So I don't consider myself a foodie, but I do have kind of resigned to the fact that I'm a food snob. Yeah. They're just you know, I said it on the show the other day, and it's it's something I've <laughs> I've said before. That I take pride in the fact that I have no idea where the nearest Applebee's is. Mm-hmm. And that might sound dickish, 
but it is it is what it is. Well, here's the thing. If you have, you know, let's say 12 to 15 dollars to spend on lunch or whatever, I don't know. I'm just throwing out a number. You really want to go spend that at Applebee's? Right. Um, well, the, the, <laughs> you should tell you do how you used to operate as a kid. I think it's it's poignant to this, but it's also funny. Yeah, so I've always had I've just always loved food. I've always loved eating. And when I would go to the mall with my friends when I was a kid, and this is like 12, 13, 14, um, my mom would drop us off and I would have like a $20 bill or something. And my friends would have, you know, however much money they had. And they, we would go shopping and they would buy clothes or earrings or whatever. Right. And I would just be saving my money and waiting until we could get some food. And I would get a clam chowder and a bread bowl <laughs> and some cinnamon rolls. In the mall, everybody. Mm-hmm. So clearly at that point, your your palate, your your fine-tuned taste buds had not kicked in. No. Well, I mean, you never know. Cinnamon rolls are never bad. Welfare kids typically have welfare tastes. I guess that's what I'm getting at. You know, clam chowder in <laughs> a bread bowl, that's, that's pretty decadent for a welfare kid. But it's, it's shopping mall. Clam chowder. It's better than progressive. It's or not progresso. <laughs> <laughs> Does the insurance company now sell clam chowder? They might. What I'm saying is, it's not like Fisherman's Wharf, San Francisco clam chowder. <laughs> it's it's next to the 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 Great Steak Escape mm-hmm. or the Orange Julius. It yeah. can't be that decadent. Yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> but the point is, I food was more important to me than anything else. Yeah, yeah. It's super interesting. Yeah, that's what I wanted to spend my money on. So it's kind of continued. And I feel like I am also kind of a food snob as well, though less than you, I think, because, you know, I would probably still eat at Olive Garden, you know, if, mm. if that happened. I probably wouldn't willingly spend my money there, but, you know, I don't, I don't. So I guess in a roundabout way, what you're saying is you're a fan of diarrhea um well i haven't eaten there for a while so i don't know what kind of tum time would occur after eating there but i would much prefer like a jumbo scallop with some uni you know i should contact some of these companies the applebee's and the and the the taco bells and the we're really we're just killing ourselves for any sponsorship uh or the olive gardens and come up with new slogans for them you know olive garden we support your weight loss plan through diarrhea. Mm, that's that's terrible. <laughs> well, tell tell the audience about that book that you have that you created as a kid. And mm. in, <laughs> in, in it, it's dedicated to when I grow up and this and that. And one of them's, you know, she's going to be a lawyer or something. And she's going to she's going to earn a thousand a check that says one thousand dollars on it. But there are several pages that are focused very okay you're ter- you're telling it terribly okay i wrote the books <laughs> let me talk okay so you know when you're in elementary school or at least this is what happened at my school um there were two separate occasions where we wrote books and actually like sent them off to get published yeah they were like hard cover they were like bound and right. hard hard bound books they're, they're it's super Super cool. Right. I mean, the content is a little lacking. Mm-hmm. You were just a dumb kid. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the first one that we did, I was in first grade, and that one was called The Little Girl Who Ate Too Much. 
Right, right. And all she did was travel around and like one of the pages has a giant can of 7-Up on it and like a donut <laughs> and all these different food items. Like I said, welfare kids have welfare tastes. <laughs> but then the one then the one you're referencing is called Someday. And there is one where, you know, you're supposed to fill it with your dreams of someday. And one of my dreams was someday I'll come home to see that there is tons of steak and mashed potatoes. Well, (laughs) one, let me let me just address that is a wonderful dream. Yeah, I think so, too. Someday Mm -hmm. I hope (laughs) to come home and there's just tons of steak and mashed potatoes. I think everybody does. In fact, not someday. Every day, mm. I hope that I come home and there is tons of steak and mashed potatoes. Yeah, it's high living. If I could eat myself into a coma, I most certainly would. If it was feasible. <laughs> if I had the money. Like people say, oh, if I had a million dollars, what would you do? If you won the lottery, what would you do? I think I would eat myself into morbid obesity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if I would go that far. And see, that's the other kind of benefit I've always loved to eat. And it's just now happening to me where my metabolism is starting to slow down, you know, because I'm I'm mid 20s right. now and I'm I'm not, you know, having that situation anymore. You're st- anyway, you're still thin and beautiful. And it, it, anyway, I'm just I know I'm just saying, I mean, you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Is that what you're saying? Well, first of all, I have to go back because I just... I, everybody knows you were just stumbling, that you don't you weren't agreeing that you're thin and beautiful. Okay. Yeah, I know I'm thin and beautiful. <laughs> okay, yeah. Okay, you were I, talking about your metabolism. Yes. I'm just saying things change although, as you start getting older. Although I'm going to isolate that. And no. That's going to be a drop on no, the show. No, 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 You're no. thin and beautiful. I know. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. No. No, it's happening. Okay. That's not what I meant. And what I'm trying to say is, you know, just as you get older, you start losing that a little bit. Oh, tell me about it. I know. And I've always I've always actually, you know, struggled with people saying that I'm anorexic or, or whatever. Or, girl, you need to eat a sandwich when you walk into a pr- place at a Halloween party. Right. <laughs> Three years ago. But... But the point is, I've always loved food. Since first grade, I've been writing books about eating food. So right. it's it's just been a like current theme in my life. And it's a good theme. It should be everybody's theme. Of love and delicious grub. So like I said, uh, tonight we're doing the show late. We, I actually just woke up from a delicious, delicious nap after the Golden Globes. Mm-hmm. In which... Despite the the anger, there were a lot of laughs. Amy Amy Poehler and Tina Fey they hosted this year again, and apparently for the last time. And there were Bill Cosby jokes, and they were very funny. In Into the Woods, Cinderella runs from her prince. Rapunzel is thrown from a tower for her prince, and Sleeping Beauty just thought she was getting coffee with Bill Cosby. You know, actually, um... <laughs> on the news today, but Bill Cosby has finally spoken out about the allegations against him. Cosby admitted to a reporter, I put the pills in the people! The people did not want the pills in them! No, Tina, that, hey, that's not right. That's not right. It's more like, I got the pills in the bathroom, but I put them in the people! It's got to be like, I put the pills in the hoagie. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. That's fair. That seems fair. Very, very funny. Very funny. I find it, I can't 
get my brain around what the audience reaction was. If if it's contrived because they don't want to just, you know, the guy, he is uncharged. He's innocent until proven guilty. Wink, wink. I mean, that that is the case. But because there was like, even when you saw the reaction of the audience, it there was a lot of, oh, yeah. And I wonder if that was contrived, put on for the cameras, or if that's, if they're truly shocked by by these jokes. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they were just... I mean, why are they afraid to laugh, though? They need to, like, suck up to Bill Cosby for future job opportunities. Right, He's right. not going to be around very much longer. Maybe, so. maybe the audience is a fan of being drugged and raped, and they think that their opportunity to be drugged and raped by Bill Cosby will be diminished if they laugh at the joke. I'm not sure. No? But, but this is one of the beautiful things about comedy, Right. Yeah. You can talk about these issues and bring them to light in a different way rather than just like reporting on them. Well, comedy has served over the years really as a conduit to move conversations forward. That's I really love it for that. I mean, Louis C.K. is a guy who talks about very tough issues and it it's easier to deal with with things that are that are difficult through laughing and through comedy right so but good for them i it was very funny they did a good job i mean they're no ricky gervais but you know tina fey has a as a i don't want to say a long history of shitting on bill cosby but she dedicated time in in her in her television show um 30 rock we played those clips on the air of of her doing bill cosby rape very subtle bill cosby rape jokes right so Good for them. Very funny. Moving on to something less funny, um, the Charlie Hebdo happenings, I guess. We've talked about Bill Donahue on the show. He is the president of the Catholic League. And it's funny, whenever anybody talks about the Catholic League, they act like it's a legitimate group filled with millions of people. The Catholic League is a dude who sits in an office who has a secretary. Bill Donahue is the Catholic League. Right. He, he doesn't represent some large swath of the population. He's just a guy with a, a megaphone who happens to get CNN and Fox News and MSNBC, all these major news agencies, uh, news outlets, to take him seriously. Mm-hmm. Well, he recently appeared on Fox News with Megyn Kelly, and believe it or not, the Catholic Megyn Kelly took him to the woodshed and effectively shit right in his mouth about his opinion do have ties to al-qaeda in yemen and in iraq and officials fear they could be preparing to strike again in the meantime a global outpouring of support for the victims today courageous political cartooners continues including this the iconic eiffel tower going dark tonight in honor of the victims well, in the hours after the murderous attack on this satire magazine yesterday, Catholic League President Bill Donahue caused his own controversy here, with a statement appearing in the eyes of some to blame the publisher, uh, Stéphane Charbonnier, for his own murder, saying in part, quote, it is too bad that he didn't understand the role he played in his tragic death. Had he not been so narcissistic, he may still be alive. And the questions to Bill have not stopped since then. Joining me now, Bill Donahue. Bill, good to see you tonight. Thank you. Uh, and I saw you rolling your eyes when we talked about the courage of the satirists who were murdered. 
I know obviously you disagree with their message because it must be said that they were equally equal opportunity offenders. They didn't just hit Islam, they hit Catholicism, Christianity, Judaism, you name it, you name it, as, as satirists will do. Uh, so I, I, I understand you didn't like the message. Do you really think they were not courageous in the face of death threats to be publishing what they did? No. I think, first of all, they're pornographers disguised as satirists. We're not talking about Mel Brooks. We're talking about the functional equivalent of Larry Flint going to print. Uh, okay, look, but, but, but let me just stop, yeah. stop you there. Larry Flint himself right. was upheld. His, yes. his, his right, Absolutely. his embodiment of the right. First Amendment itself was specifically recognized exactly by the right. U.S. Supreme Court. That's exactly right. And I will make the point. I've made it my whole life. I'll make it again tonight. People have a legal right to insult my religion or somebody else's. They don't have a moral right to do so. People are looking at this in a unidimensional way. They're saying, well, all the, the only issue on the table is, is the right of these people to do whatever they want. No, it isn't. First of all, freedom of speech is not an end. It's a means toward an end. No, it's, it's, all, it's also an it's, end. It's, it's also, the, the very freedom that's, of speech. That's certainly not the understanding of Madison. Yes, it, uh, no, listen, no, 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 no. I quote from no, the no. U.S. Supreme Court. In yeah. fact, here, you know what I'm quoting to you from? Hustler Magazine and Larry Flint versus Jerry Falwell. This is the Supreme Court case in 1988. The freedom to speak one's mind is not only an aspect of individual liberty and thus a good unto itself. They recognize that the actual ability to speak, to say these things, is a good unto itself, but is also essential to the common quest for truth and the vitality of society. Right, and six years, six years earlier, in 1982, in New York versus Ferber, my favorite group, the American Civil Liberties Union, argued that child pornography was freedom of speech. I would prefer the Madisonian understanding, which also says this, Liberty can be lost by the abuse of power, but also by the abuses of liberty. Self-censorship is the friend of freedom. Because if we don't have self-censorship, we're going to have individuals interpret their rights in an extreme fashion. That leads to a, 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 a basically accused, license at that point. People have accused you of, of blaming the victim, of, of the, uh, that this is the equivalent of, of blaming a rape victim for being dressed too provocatively, saying she brought it upon herself. No. Just because they did something provocative doesn't mean they invited what happened. There's a difference between a justification and an explanation. I'm trying to explain the totality of what's going on here. I've made it very clear that, I, that I unequip... Well... If a woman has been beaten by her husband for 20 years and one day she goes out and she blows his brains out, I think we're going to say she's a murderer and we ought to try her. On the other hand, any sensible person would say, what are we going to look at this whole issue here? What's going on? She's not the same as a gal who just went home one night and said, That's because that husband. might be a legal defense to her. In well, your case, it's no defense to I, this terrorist the, the, the murder only, to the, say that they had offended these the, people. The only people who are responsible here are the murderers, the Muslim barbarians, and, and they are a threat to liberty. There's no question about it. I am simply saying there's another issue here. That is the necessity of restraint on the part of artists. And I am sick and tired of the narcissism of the, nar of the artists in this country and abroad who say the only right is my right to do whatever I want. We're talking here, by the way, not about inoffensive depictions. It We're talking about scatological... That, that it, is exactly... It doesn't, it doesn't exculpate exactly, the... That, that is the bedrock of the First Amendment. Right. And I refer you back to this right. case, just so that the viewers right. don't know. The this is a quote. The political cartoon is a weapon of attack, of scorn, of ridicule, of satire. It is usually as welcome as a bee sting and is always controversial. But despite their sometimes caustic nature, graphic depictions, satirical cartoons have played a prominent role in public and political debate. From the viewpoint of history, it is clear our political discourse would have been considerably poorer without no, them. I, 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 and, and, and here's my response. If that's the case, why don't you show right now 
what they put on in, the, in, in, in these scatological comments. It is the case. <laughs> what I'm saying. The US Nobody Supreme wants to put it in stuff. their newspaper or go, TV. Bill. I gotta go. It's I wonder why. That guy, he is he is deplorable. And it's there, there's several threads that run through this that are very interesting to me. One, they talk about the Hustler Magazine um, case. It was Jerry Falwell versus Hustler Magazine. Mm -hmm. Jerry Falwell, a religious figure who was challenging their freedom of speech. Right. Here we have Bill Donahue challenging someone's right to free speech where it relates to criticizing religion. Well, he's drawing the comparison between Hustler Magazine because he claims that the cartoons were pornographic. That's right. Well, they also t said that he had sex with his grandma out in an outhouse and all this stuff. But it, it just it strikes me as interesting that these are all religious characters, religious actors who are opposed to free speech. Right. The cases that are getting getting brought up are people who were religious. Those are the people who challenge free speech. And then he brings up the ACLU defending child porn, saying that it's freedom of speech. I don't know the specifics of that case, but what he d fails to mention is that the courts found that child pornography is not covered under freedom of speech because there's a victim in that case, someone who is physically harmed. They're not emotionally harmed because you happen to attack an idea of theirs. An unsubstantiated idea. Right. The other, this, I guess I, all this religious people defending the attackers, uh, making excuses for the murderous terrorists. In, 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 in light of that thread, Brian Fisher, <laughs> frequent, uh, guest, <laughs> frequent subject of ridicule on the show, Brian Fisher, religious nutter, had this to say on his radio show. Well, now I'm going to suggest something to you, and this is just for your thinking. Now, I know there's liable to be a lot of blowback from this, and I, I want to mention that right up front. And I'm not saying that this is what I believe. I'm not saying that. But it's striking to me that... Let's... I want to put this in context here. What he is doing, what he's saying is... I'm not saying I believe or endorse what I'm getting ready to say. And then he goes on to say it as though it's his own thought. Makes a lot of sense. Well, it's, it's almost like when I say in a jokey way, I'm not saying Donald Sterling is a dirty, filthy, fat, ugly racist. But if I think about what a dirty, filthy, fat, ugly racist looks like, I think of Donald Sterling. I, when I do the joke, he's like doing that, except... He's dead serious. Yeah. He's backing away from, from the comment that he's getting ready to make. If you look at the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, and, you know, this is a commandment that's never been rescinded, still in force today. He says, God speaking through Moses, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, that's what... The, this magazine, Charlie Hebdo, they made a career out of taking the name of God, the God of the Bible, the Father of the Lord Jesus. They made a career. They made their bones out of taking his name in vain. 
Now listen to what God says next. Okay, you're not supposed to take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Well, if you do, whose responsibility is it to deal with that? He says, the Lord will not hold him guiltless who uses his name in vain. The Lord himself will not hold guiltless him who takes his name in vain. Now, you know, you look at the Old Testament, what happened to Judah, and God used a pagan nation. I mean, he used idolaters. He used the savage armies of Babylon to discipline his own people. He brought them in as the rod of his wrath to discipline the nation of Judah. They even got carted off to Babylon as a part of his punishment. So he used this pagan, foreign, evil, malicious, wicked nation to as a rod of correction and as a rod of discipline uh, for the people of Judah. So in this completely all over the place message, he's saying that God used these terrorists to to do his will mm-hmm. to fi- to not find the 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 cartoonists guiltless but in the scripture that he uses in the very scripture in the words that he just said he said that god himself god himself will not find them guiltless and then he goes on to say how god used this pagan culture this pagan civilization as a rod of correction. So God himself isn't doing it. He's he's using other people as his mouthpiece and as his instrument of terror and murder. It's it's just odd to me that these religious characters, this man who sits behind his microphone under the blanket of freedom and freedom of speech, able to spew hate, and it is absolutely his right to do so. I'm not saying he shouldn't have the right to say what he wants to say. He absolutely should. But it's just there's some level of irony here that he's exercising his right of freedom of speech to denigrate someone else's, to speak against someone else's right to freedom of speech. Or to speak against someone who used their yeah. right to free speech. Yeah. It's just hypocrisy. Terrible, terrible hypocrisy. Dollamocracy 2016, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. Lots of news this week. What's great about this is the closer we get, week after week after week, the closer we get to the 2016 election, we're going to have more and more and more news because it's just it's a it's a it's a pressure cooker that's building toward toward this event toward this seminal event in our cultural history which will be the the election the presidential election of 2016 there's two two players we're going to talk about today one is one is Mitt Romney and the other that we'll start with is Chris Christie and Nate Silver's 538.com just published some data that kind of would lead you to believe that he's not ready for prime time and that his Presidential hopes are probably not all that great. Well, they just kind of analyzed a couple of different things. So one of the things they said that makes Chris Christie's chances overrated is that he's probably too moderate. 
And they talked about how Bush is not that much more moderate than Mitt Romney or John McCain, the past two Republican nominees. But the party has become more conservative since 2008, and it has a deep field of potential 2016 candidates. Republicans can't afford to be picky, they say. So far, Bush's candidacy has not been received that well by influential Republicans. Christie, however, ranks to the left of Bush by statistical systems that measure candidate ideology. And they have kind of a chart here that shows how conservative are the GOP presidential candidates. And the least conservative one is Chris Christie. Right. So that might be a problem. Well, it's interesting to me. One one is, and I have a lot of respect for Nate Silver over there at 538. They do a great job, and he has proven himself someone to listen to where it relates to his prog- uh, prognostications uh, in the political arena. He, I mean, he's picking 50 of 50 states and which way they're going to go for the presidency. I mean, he's doing remarkable things using statistical analysis. However... And I don't know. We'll wait and see. I guess we'll revisit this in a year and see where he's come down, where where Christie is in the race. But a candidate like Rudy Giuliani, who obviously didn't fare well, you and this goes for Democrats and this goes for Republicans. If you're a Democrat, you run very leftist, very liberal during primary, and then you try to come back to the middle because we are a right-of-center country. We are. And you want to get as close to right-of-center as your political ideologies will let you without, you know, you, you, that rubber band is stretching as you come back to the middle. And you want to come as far back to the middle as you can without that rubber band snapping. So it's the same thing with Chris Christie. He's gonna, He's probably going to to campaign very, very conservative and then have to come back to the middle even though it's antithetical to his actual positions. Same with Mitt Romney, who had to completely reinvent himself to run for president. Right. Well, going from less conservative to more conservative, Chris Christie's number one, John Huntsman, Richard Nixon, Condoleezza Rice, Bob Dole, Gerald Ford, George H.W. Bush, and then you have Jeb Bush, and then a couple more down the line, it's Mitt Romney. Right. So Mitt Romney, according to 538, is even more conservative than Jeb Bush, and then Jeb Bush more conservative than Chris Christie. Yeah. And this is based on analysis of fundraising, congressional voting records, and public statements on certain issues. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it's accurate information, for sure. Then they also say that he probably lacks the discipline to win the invisible primary. The candidates who survive the early stage of the invisible primary tend to be those who avoid making news when they don't need to. Oh, right. So it's it's just avoiding putting your foot in your mouth when, you know, making a misstep when there's no reason to do so. Right. And so he seems to have some issues like that. Like recently when he was spotted in the luxury box in Arlington, Texas at the Dallas Cowboys game, people didn't like that for some reason. I mean, I'm not sure really what the issue is, but I think pundits didn't like that. I don't think average Joe guy and gal give a damn about him being in the owner's box. I mean, do we really want our president's in the the north end zone. I mean, really, we we want our presidential presidential candidates and our presidents to be presidential. 
as much as 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 people act like they want their guy to be oh just average joe american who can you can have a beer with no you don't well it it's also it doesn't make any sense i mean of course chris christie has money all these people right. have money. Right. All of them do. Well, he's also a longtime Dallas Cowboy fan, unfortunately. And it's it's fitting that he would be in the box because he is a well-known person who's going to run for president. Whether or not he has m- money, he's still a contender for the job of the most powerful powerful person on the planet. So Right. And so the third thing they say about why his chances are overrated is that he no longer has a good electability case the decline in christie's favorability has also translated into his overall numbers in late 2012 his favorability rating was 45 percent nationally against just a 20 percent unfavorable rating but christie's popularity has waned considerably in the wake of bridgegate and other controversies now his ratings have turned negative he has a 33 percent favorable rating and 43 percent unfavorable rating well here's here's what happens and here's where 538 there are some intangibles that can't be quantified and that is the fact that the attention span of the american electorate is half of a commercial stop set between episodes of the bachelorette you know it's not as soon as he gets right back out there and starts forming his message and really manipulating use of the media, he could be a very viable guy. And I don't know whether I support him or not. It's too early to tell. Right. But he very well could be, he could be a, a very viable. And his, his popularity, while waning now, won't necessarily be waning once he really gets out there on the campaign trail. So it just it's a little early, and I think 538 doesn't really serve itself well relative to credibility when they do things too, too early. Well, I don't think they're saying he has no chance at all. I think they're just saying at this point in time, right now, things aren't looking great right. for which, you. Which doesn't, doesn't, well, what's the title of the article on the website? Chris Christie's chances are overrated. Right. So they're they're making a determination. I don't know if that's very very mild clickbait or not but they're you know they're they're Nate Silver's not a conservative i guess i'll just say that so take that as as whatever you will next up on the docket for Dollamocracy 2016 is Mitt Romney uh fucking Mitt Romney he has run for president twice failed both times and has vowed many times said I am not going to run again. I am not interested in, in in running again. It's not something I'm going to do. His wife has gone out there and said it. And this week, like a little whack-a-mole, he popped his head up once again. After a bruising defeat in 2012, former Massachusetts Governor Mitt Romney has been insistent he's not getting back into the game. I'm not running for president. I'm not doing it again. I'm not running for president. I've said that so many times. Even his wife, Anne, has been adamant. It's a no. But now, Romney may be changing his tune, reportedly telling a small group of donors in New York on Friday he's considering a run in 2016. According to those in the room, Romney said, quote, people ask if I really want to be president. Yeah, 
I want to be president. Hi, how are you? Romney's renewed interest comes as former Florida Governor Jeb Bush announced he's exploring a White House run, resigning from his board positions and establishing two super PACs. Together, we can provide conservative principles and conservative solutions. And with a number of key Republicans also weighing potential bids, Romney could shake things up. Romney in this race would upend the entire field. You already have Jeb Bush and Chris Christie in that establishment uh, lane. Adding Mitt Romney would be a huge competition for donors, for staffers, and also for voters. This entire fiasco with him dipping his toes in the water, it's... It's another reason why I don't like him. He's a liar. He's almost like Donald Trump-esque at this point. Only a few. That's very, yeah, he very much is. Except for, I mean, he actually runs. Right. So that's a positive. Well, one, listen, I don't have anything against Mitt Romney relative to his wealth. I mean, his his religion bothers me a little bit. <laughs> Not that he's a Mormon, but he's so faithful to his religion. It's weird to me. Because there's... It should be. It should just be left out. You know what I mean. But what bothers me is only a few years ago, he was pro gay marriage, pro choice, pro choice. He he was a different candidate. He set up the example for Obamacare in Massachusetts. Their universal type of health care. So he was. But it only that's only good for the states. Though. Right, it's only good at a state level. He is a liberal, and. It doesn't bother me that he's for gay marriage, of course. I and mean, that's awesome that he's for gay marriage. It's that as soon as he decides to run for president, the fundamental core beliefs of this grown man, oh, I changed my mind on that. Well, uh, if you're that, if you vacillate that much on your opinions about topics of great importance in our society, then you're not ready for... For to to be my president. Well, and here's the thing: we were always saying people can change their minds, they can evolve. Yeah. But Mitt Romney is 67 years old. He's already owned businesses. He's been educated. He yeah. he is who he is. Well, listen, so I, I, I'm not. I'm not. It's not that he changed his mind. It's that once I elect him to be president of the United States and he is our leader, what else is he going to change his mind about? Yeah, he flip flops too if, much. If I elect him as a guy who's who's anti-gay marriage and then six months in he changes his mind he lied to me now i will never vote for mitt romney so i don't have that fear but people should be wary of that if someone listen if you kind of come around on a topic or two and you soften your position that's one thing but a complete 180 is a different story holding a different opinion about abortion and a seminal civil rights issue like gay marriage, that's that's problematic for me, and I hope it would be problematic for a large swath of our audience. So another 538 article that I have for you to S on is... I'm <laughs> not. I'm just, you know... Listen, part of it is that I want to ch check myself because I do have a lot of respect for Nate Silver and the conclusions to which he comes. I really do, but I don't want it to be just blind adoration and follow him like he's some kind of a deity. You know, I don't want to turn his track record of 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 hits into some kind of fealty. You know, I want I want to be 
I want to question him and be skeptical of him just like I would expect people to be of other things. Yeah, I know. And I, I, I like that. It, it was painful when you made me reread the title of the article because I knew that... <laughs> I knew that that wasn't, mm, it just hurt. It felt like being stabbed, you know? All right, all right. Okay. So, 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 sorry, I'm coughing here. So he, they, they listed reasons why they think Romney's coming back into the, into the spotlight. Right. And so one of the reasons is that the Republican field is divided. And apparently this is the most split Republican presidential field in the modern era since 1976. And Jeb Bush's 23% support in a recent CNN survey was the highest for any non-Romney candidate over the past year. Most polls show every candidate besides Romney south of 20%. And part of the reason that no one candidate has amassed a big block of support is because each of them do well with like a particular segment of the Republican base. So Bush does best with the moderates, Rand Paul, the libertarians, Ted Cruz, Tea Partiers. And so this is another reason that Romney may be tempted to come back in because he does well across the party. Right. He does well with Tea Partiers and everybody else. I think that's only because of um, lingering loyalty that people have, you know, they've slapped that bumper sticker on that car because he was the general election candidate. He got the nomination and people are still comfortable with Mitt Romney rather than an unknown like Jeb Bush. And not like he's unknown, but he, it's unknown how he's going to perform on the big stage. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good point. So, I, I don't know. I, I think, well, one, I stand by everything I've said related to Mitt Romney, but he's a, he's a weird deal. It's very weird to me that people are able to, th- like, for instance, and we've talked about this before many, many, many episodes ago, but my parents are are people who believe that Mormonism is a cult meaning if you're a mormon you're you're a member of a cult you're a cult member and your parents are also hyper religious yeah super right-wing conservatives however which is funny i gotta guarantee you my mom voted for mitt romney in 2012 i know she did Mm. so she's tossing away her christianity and her her core beliefs and ethos related to her religion to vote a man who she believes to be a member of a cult into the highest land and uh, the highest office of the land. In she the was land. she was just risking a Jonestown sitch. Yeah, but she's not she's not alone. It's not that she's uh, she that she's a rarity. There's a lot of fundamentalist evangelical Christians who do not believe Mormonism is is a Christian faith. Oh no, for sure. We heard this over the Christmas dinner that we had. Right. And he enjoyed Mitt Romney enjoyed great support. And I don't have the number here, but we'll have to look it up. He enjoyed great support amongst evangelicals, which is very bizarre to me. Well, I mean, just as a side note, it's always funny when evangelical Christians criticize Mormonism. You right, know, right. It's <laughs> I've I've, I've heard is. many times people say um, that Mormons aren't Christians, and you know, from Christians saying that, and it's like, all right. Listen, my my path out of Christianity and into atheism, um, or into being an atheist, was was kind of a process because I'm I have come to a position now where, well, let's put it this way: a year out of of Christianity, I thought Mormonism was just super wacky, and well, Christianity, you know, uh, it's just it's tradition, da 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 da. 
But now, Mormonism is no more wacky than than than, than standard old run of the mill two thousand year old Christianity. They st- they believe just as wacky shit as Christ- as as standard Protestantism or Catholicism. It's just older. It's right. Just, it's Mormonism is new wackiness, <laughs> and standard Christianity, you know, typical Christianity is old nuttiness. I went through that process too, which is weird. Even though I was never super dedicated to being a Christian, because right. I, you know, it was just more about my worldview and wanting to to be a moral person, yeah. and I just thought that was the best way about that. You were a chino, a Christian in name only. Right. And so I would always criticize the Mormon faith. But then as I was coming out of the whole thing, I'm like, yeah, it's all the same. I don't, you know, it's it took me a long time, though. It took me a long time to get to where I am now, where because, you know, you you hold on to you hold on to those those beliefs that you're taught that get ingrained in you. You know, you're taught the sky is 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 yellow for so many years it's hard to really come out of it and and truly admit and understand that the sky is not yellow. Right. So, okay, back to my list here. Okay. So the third reason Romney leads in the early states. If any candidate wins the Iowa caucus and the New Hampshire primary, it's likely that he or she will win the nomination. Romney averaged 23% in the three Iowa caucus polls taken over the past six months. That's right near the 25% he won in the 2012 caucus. And he averaged 30% in two New Hampshire primary polls taken over the same period. No one was close to him in either state's average. Again, it's the comfort comfortability factor. I right. really believe that. Kind of like a recency effect almost. Ab- absolutely. And as soon as someone comes on the on the because all of these other candidates that we've peppered in and talked about, whether it be the jackass Donald Trump or Jeb Bush or Chris Christie or on the other side Hillary Clinton, they're they're not really out there yet. They're not running for president. Where Mitt Romney they're I'm not gonna keep rehashing the same st- stupid point, but He's comfortable. They know him. They probably still have their his goddamn bumper sticker on the back of their minivan. That's their guy. So they're comfortable with their guy. As soon as someone else comes in, they, they'll be more comfortable with him. Yeah. And then the fourth reason is that he has reason to think he can raise money. We all know about that. This last reason, though, is interesting. They say Romney has reason to think he can win the general election. And they talk about how many polls show him... <laughs> Of course he does. Have many polls show him right behind Hillary Clinton uh, or even sometimes above Hillary Clinton. Right. But they have this data here. Did did you want to say on top of Hillary Clinton and then you had to say in front of? No, it didn't even come to my mind. No? I'm a nice little lady. I had that imagery in my head of him Mm. on top of her. Interesting. Was it good? Uh, Listen, no. Okay. He's 67. I'll just, and it's Hillary Clinton. I'll just leave it at that. Oh, I thought you were more turned off by the Mitt Romney part. That's <laughs> that's why I went there with it. Well, the... you're thinking of Mitt Romney naked. I'm thinking of Hillary Clinton naked. Mitt Romney's not bad for 67. I mean, he does not look 67. Well, you just you stretch that skin over that ro- that steely robot, you know, metal. No, it's all that pure Mormon living. Well, I'm sure that has something to do with it. He looks great. No drinking, no partying. And no caffeine. Nah. Anyway, they like to cheat. Okay. So anyway, this was interesting to me. This was general election losers who ran for president again since 1856. Oh, yeah. And, you know, this is not in his favor. So the only people that 
won after running again when they had already run for president. Yeah. Grover Cleveland. No. Oh. And Richard Nixon. Yeah. And one of those guys, here's a little factoid for you. One of them was very unconventional. Grover Cleveland ran for president. And then, so well, let's put it this way. Grover Cleveland was president. Then some other dude was president. And then Grover Cleveland was president again. He's the only president that had two terms non-consecutive. So. Right. That's so weird. Yeah. So Mitt Romney, the general election losers that have run for their party's nomination again have a terrible record. And I think this is probably the most important point that he should focus on because it'll eventually come around to, well, he's familiar now. But then once we see everybody else, it's going to be like, well, we had him last time. We know what we had and it didn't work out. So maybe we should try someone else. I yeah. think that might be the tone going forward. We'll see. Like I said, once once people actually get into the race and get their names out there, um, we'll see what happens. I'd love for Condoleezza Rice to jump in. I think it would be uh, a spectacular occurrence because she is super smart. She speaks Russian fluent. I'm not going to you know give her resume, but she's she's legit and uh, pretty liberal. Pretty liberal relative to, you know, a, a, a Republican um, field. Yeah, she so. was toward the top on that graph, which you will see on the Facebook page and Twitter page. If you like the Facebook page and like the Twitter page, you can get all kinds of glorious, wonderful informational links that we post to those pages. Right. And if you'd like to sound off about this or anything else we've said, here's the phone number. Get your pen. Get it ready. 657 464 7609. You can also email I doubt it at dollamore.com. Or, of course, as I say and as it said, record yourself on your smartphone and email that to I doubt it at dollamore.com. So, sticking with politics, um, Pew Research. Pew, pew. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a winner, by the way. Yeah, I'm starting I think to like it's it. It's a stone cold winner. I'm starting to like it. So, pew, pew. Did some research. (laughs) They uh, published a little data about faith on the hill. So faith on Capitol Hill. Yes. With the new 114th Congress being sworn in on January 6th, Republicans will control both chambers of the legislative body for the first time since the 109th Congress, which was from 2005 to 2006. Yeah. I was gone by then. I think I was the 104th or 105th. I worked for both, 104th and 105th Congress. Were you uh, also a Marine? That's not for you to do. <laughs> don't don't hijack my jokes. I'm sorry. What do you think this is? It's not my show. I'm very... Uh, I didn't say that, turd sandwich. <laughs> I said, that's my joke. Don't go hijacking my jokes. You come up with your own jokes. Okay. So despite... But for the record, I was in the Marine Corps, everybody. <laughs> Okay. So despite the change in party control, there is relatively little change in the overall religious makeup of Congress. Okay. Hmm. So more than nine in 10 members of the House and Senate, 92% are Christian, about 57% are Protestant, and roughly the same as in the 113th Congress, 90% and 56% respectively. About three in 10 members, 31% are Catholic, and this is the same as the previous Congress. Wow. So how many unaffiliated people do we have? Well, I, I know the answer. And by unaffiliated, I, it's such a vague way to say it. I don't know why they say unaffiliated rather than non-religious, 
or or atheist. It is something I don't like about how Pew Research surveys the atheist agnostic community because atheist agnostic and then people who just don't belong to a religion are under unaffiliated and it seems like you could break those up into three different categories i think that uh, i wonder how they ask the question but because you could be someone who just doesn't give religion a thought but you don't consider yourself an atheist you just yeah i'm just i'm not a member of any church Mm -hmm. you know maybe i'm maybe i'm attaching too much activism to atheism because I consider myself kind of an evangelical atheist. Well, I would want to know that wouldn't be good enough for me, the way that you just phrased it. Because I it want never is. <laughs> I want to know <laughs> I want to know if the person believes in God or not. Right. So that's kind of where I don't like the unaffiliated question because well, they should ask, which God do you believe in? So you say, Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay, Christian. I believe in Buddha. Okay. You know, you, you know, what what deity, what what flavor? They should just ask which flavor. All right. This is just too much. All right. So there's one affiliated person. One unaffiliated. Yep. That's what I said. Right. And it's Arizona, right? Yes. And yeah. her name is Kristen Cinema, with an S. Interesting. She's a Democrat in the House. Of course. And like you said, from Arizona. So th- there's only one unaffiliated person. And it's just interesting to me. 91.8% of Congress is Christian. That's course, just... well. claims to be believers in Christ. Okay, yeah, that's true. And then the largest type of Christian in the Congress population, 57.2% Protestant. Right. Well, historically in this country, I mean, John F. Kennedy was the first Catholic president. Yeah, it's very strange. It was, well, there was this fear, this, this lingering fear that if you elect John Kennedy... He's going to be taking his marching orders from the Pope. You know what I mean? Right. And that's and nobody wants at that Pope to be, you know, calling the shots. <laughs> People don't seem to have that same concern for Mitt Romney. Uh, Well, it's because he has fine tuned the message. And anytime anybody asks him a question about religion, he deflects and they allow him to not answer the question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a valid question. It is a valid question. It is. And speaking of Mormons, there are 16 Mormons in Congress, and that makes up 3%. Including Harry Reid, everybody. Mm-hmm. Harry Reid, the minority leader of the Senate, is a Mormon. So there are there are Mormons in top positions. Right. And then there are 28 Jews, 5.2%. Which is more than the pop, than their share of the population of the country. Yes, there's, that's true. There's less than, I think it's like 2.2% or something. Maybe 2%. Even, yeah, 2% of the of the country. You like that? That I'm right mm-hmm. off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. It's pretty um, good. There's 2% of the, of the population of the United States is Jewish, and there is almost 6% of Congress is Jewish. That's uh, it's interesting. Right. And then for Mormons, too, 2% of American adults are Mormon. So yeah. there's more Mormons represented in Congress than in the American population. That's actually true for Protestants and Baptists. There are more Baptists and Protestants in Congress than there are represented in the American adult population. Huh. So we need more unaffiliated people. Oh, there's also one Unitarian Universalist. <laughs> so we'll All just right. put them under unaffiliated. You jokester. <laughs> Since that basically, what, what is that? Isn't that? I thought that was nothing. I don't know. Who knows? It's like the, that's like the, the, the mail away. That's how I got, uh, 
um, uh, ordained as a, as a pastor or as a, as a clergy. I right. just email off and then they send me back. Hey, okay, you're in. So the Unitarian Universalist is from California in the House. Hmm. Democrat Amy Burra. Amy Burra. You're, you're good with those names. I'm super good with <laughs> names. So let's move on. Sticking with politics, the top 10 reasons that American politics are so broken. Who, uh, who published this? This is Jonathan Haidt and Sam Abrams. Oh, your boy. Right. And so they just went through a couple of things. And that's a guy everybody should tweet to get on the show. I'd love to have Jonathan Haidt on to talk to about so many, many things. Super smart guy. Go ahead. Sorry. Yes. I just fanboyed a little bit. Right. So the first thing that they talked about related to why American politics are worse than ever is that the two parties purified themselves ideologically. And this means that the Republicans have become more Republican, moved away from the center, and liberals have become more liberal, moved away from the center. Right. And they created a fancy little chart here that you'll see on the Facebook page when I post the link there, if you like the page. It's a weird thing how few people like the page and how many listeners we have. I think people just hate Facebook and they don't want their feed cluttered with with things that don't have to do with what, you know, the the pictures of their friends' cats or whatever, you know? Right. So follow the Facebook page, everybody. Do yourself a favor and follow the Facebook page. So from a period from about 1930 to 1980, both parties were about as centrist as they'd ever been. But before that time period and now after that time period, it's just not that way. 1980? 1930 to 1980, yeah. Okay. And especially now, there's a, a gap that's just widening between the two parties because they're just becoming more partisan. Well, Reagan Reagan, um, really, I don't know if it, he was at, at the helm of the, or, uh, of the, of the movement, but they, evangelical Christians really organized and rallied around Reagan. And it was the downfall of the Republican Party was when religion really was hand in hand it co- it co-opted the 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 Republican party and it's it's a bummer right this is something they noted as well that the republicans have moved further and faster to the right than the democrats have moved to the left yeah so i don't know if that is like you're saying religiously motivated or what happened but you know, it's never good to be so polarized that well especially around a fairy tale <laughs> Yes. So the second reason that American politics are worse than ever, according to Jonathan Haidt and Sam Abrams, is that politicians polarized as they did. So did many Americans before the 1980s. If you knew which party an American voted for, you couldn't predict very well whether the person held liberal or conservative views. Uh, They have another chart in here that shows the degree to which identification with a party correlates with a person's self-placement on the liberal conservative spectrum. It's interesting to me because I can't even fathom a time where if you said who you voted for, I wouldn't be able to know if what your views were. Well, I don't know if that's a if that's a mark on the voter or a mark on the person who's being voted for, because there used to be like blue dog Democrats, they were called. Southern um, conservative Democrats. I mean, the parties have really, like you've said, they've they've polarized and they've really become a caricature of themselves. But there used to be people who you could vote for as a Democrat and they were conservative. I, I know it's it's odd. 
Yeah, they indicate here that it wasn't just by ideology that Americans were sorting themselves into the two parties. It was increasingly by their personalities and lifestyles. Liberals and conservatives dress differently, decorate their rooms differently, read different books, take different vacations, and drink different alcoholic beverages. (laughs) As the differences between supporters of the two parties became ever more pervasive and ever more visible to the naked eye, it became easier to spot members of the other team and then dislike them for the way they live. Sure. And that is true now that I'm thinking about it. I mean, generally, if you look at someone, you might be able to tell sometimes, not always. Yeah, I, th- I think, I don't if know. If it's like a hipster. Yeah, well, if if it's some weirdo who, 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 who sets him or herself apart by how they dress, sure. But if you're just a regular dude in khakis... And and uh, and uh, and a, and a sport shirt and a polo, you don't know. You know what I mean. Mm, polo feels very Republican to me. I don't. I, see, <laughs> I don't know that because if you're listen, if you're a hipster, you're you're segmenting yourself. You're that's like a uniform. You're identifying as a liberal. And there, I'm sure there's exceptions to the rule. But anyway, let's move on. Go ahead. I think it's also like the red versus blue tie thing. You know, when there are when the presidential candidates are up on stage during the debates and the Republicans wear red ties and the Democrats wear blue ties. That only recently. I think that started in 2008. Really? The red blue thing. That's not an old time thing. Really? The whole red state blue state is very, very new. Very Hmm. new. Interesting. Okay, so they also say the urban-rural divide grew into a gulf, reflecting diverging interests and, and values. I'm sorry, I, I got to stop you. By 2008, I mean like I think 2000. <laughs> it started with like okay. George Bush, like with the George Bush Al Gore thing. I don't know why oh, right. I said 2008. Right. That's about when it started. What am I doing? I don't know. That makes more sense, though. Jesse Dallimore, bastion of credibility, everybody. So as the parties <laughs> and their supporters were purifying, the new left right dimension came increasingly to map onto the urban rural dimension so this is kind of talking about you know like how idaho is very representative of republicans sure and if you go to a larger city new york city you find more liberals right so that has been increasingly getting worse since 1988 right which was reagan's last go-round I mean that was that was the George Bush era. George H. W. Bush era. So another interesting one they have here is that the net effect of all these trends is that partisans dislike one another more intensely. And every two years the American National Election Survey asks a representative sample of Americans to say how they feel about many groups and institutions in American life. They give numbers using a scale that runs from zero through 50 to 100, and obviously 100 is the best. Sure. 50 is neutral, zero is strong dislike. And the feelings toward the opposite party have been trending down since 1980, and especially since 2000. Well, so it's just been getting progressively worse, the well, feelings toward each other. I think that there's two reasons for this. One, I do, I do blame religion, as I said. But also, I think that, listen, we live... We live in an age anymore that like there's no need for an encyclopedia. You can't go and oh, I got to get my world book and look up information on Vietnam. You don't have to do that anymore because you have a smartphone. The internet exists. So I could see the year 2000 being a very seminal moment in American politics and world politics for that matter about setting yourself apart because we have more information 
available to us to understand what the other side is doing. I mean, in nineteen in nineteen ninety two, when Clinton was elected, the internet wasn't around. There was no email on a wide scale. I mean, a few people in the Defense Department had some sort of email, but information wasn't immediately accessible by your average everyday person. And now it's just a different it's a different world and, and we're really kind of just feeling our way through to figure out where we're gonna how we're gonna operate going forward. Right. It's interesting. So let's move on out of politics and into the wacky world of the anti-vaxxer. Foster families are under a new mandate that everyone in their house needs a flu shot if they have foster kids under two years of age. If they don't comply, the children will be taken away from them. Tacoma Forest Keith Eldridge is live in Tacoma where he spoke with a foster mother who doesn't think that's right. Keith? Absolutely not. She says that there's already a shortage of foster families. Is the state really going to rip children out of those homes to try to find new ones all because of a flu shot? He was born on Christmas. Yeah, and he's our little Christmas baby. Jamie Smith is holding her newest addition to her foster home. Seven other babies have come through her home, including Bonnie, who is now four and adopted by the Smith family. My shoes light up. But this little two-week-old may be taken away by the state unless Jamie and all the members of her house get a flu shot. She's not going to comply. I've done a lot of research on it, <laughs> and I don't like some of the side effects that it has. She says she's worried about mercury in the vaccine and its effects on the brain and doesn't want herself or her five children exposed to that, even if it means losing this little one. To me, they're more important, their safety, than trying to fight to keep this little guy. She isn't getting the shot, but her electrician husband did. He works for Multicare and they require that they get a, that he gets a shot. Yesterday, we told you about the nurses at Multicare's Tacoma General and Good Samaritan Hospitals who are suing the company over its insistence they get flu shots or face termination. It is serious. Now, the foster families who handle children two years old and younger are under the same gun and hope by speaking out, the state will ease up and keep the foster families together. Hoping that we can raise enough of a voice that the state will... <clears throat> at least give waivers or you know do something to try to make it so the children won't be taken out of their homes. Now, the Department of Social and Health Services, which oversees foster care, issued this statement. They say that our rules are designed to protect the safety and well-being of children which is the sole focus of the Department of Social and Health Services Children's Administration. We selected this age group, two and under, because they are the children who are most vulnerable to illness. We are examining issues being brought to our attention now and have made no decisions regarding the changes. Now, the deadline for getting a flu shot for these families is the end of next month. We're live at Tacoma, Keith Eldridge, Como 4 News. So they're g- I don't get the controversy here. The controversy here. She's... She's clearly a science denier who's done, I've done a lot of research. You know, it's, I've read too many books to blah, blah, blah. Are you kidding me, Kristen Cavalieri, Jenny McCarthy? You can't just say you've done a lot of research and make people think that you've actually, that you understand the research that you may have looked at. You know, going to real pharmacy with an F.com is not research. (laughs) You know what I mean? Right. And people keep saying, I did research. Okay, well, when you're researching vaccines, you can actually log into a database and search for the actual scientific articles. Right. 
that are completely unfiltered by the media and you can go look at those the actual studies right but you have to be able to understand that well you have to be science literate and you know obviously this person is not because they're fearful of the mercury in in the vaccine right. you know what i mean and i just how how long is this going to go on well she's also putting she's putting this newborn baby in danger and 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 clearly even by her own words believes the ch- the, the safety of her children is more important she didn't even say that she said that my kids are more important than this baby so listen it's it's tragic enough that you are putting in danger your brood, your your clan of children that you're created and that you're brainwashing. But the state has a responsibility, especially with foster children who are, are wards of the state, who are in custody of the state. They have a responsibility to make sure that child is taken care of to the best level that it can. So they need to take that kid away. I'm just terrified of foster homes, I think. Well, there's just such a bad juju, you know? I've just heard a lot of bad stories. And I know there are good foster parents. I know that that exists. But this, this, I mean, what is the screening process here? Because this woman doesn't know anything. I mean, about science. Right. So that's a little, that makes me nervous. Well, and her, she's bitching that her husband had to get it. He works in a hospital <laughs> with sick people who are vulnerable, who have a, a health vulnerability. Yeah. I mean, uh, just nutter butters. Well, I recently read something, too. I always see things about the flu shot, and I always feel guilty because I never get it. But the reason I don't get it is because I'm cheap, and I don't want to pay for it. <laughs> right. Or else I would totally be getting it. Right. Well, listen. Also, I don't like shots. I don't... <laughs> I don't get it every year, and it has nothing to do with... Because this isn't a vaccine. This is a flu. I mean, it, it is, I guess, a vaccine, but it's not like measles, mumps, rubella. It's not that type of vaccine. It's to guard you against the, the flu in the course of that flu season. Right, because like, it, it morphs. Yeah, but like this year, the, the, the strain of the flu that they thought they were going to have a problem with and they inoculated everybody against, another strain came forward, and there's a big problem with the flu this year. Well, they they issued another one, the fourth strain flu right. vaccine or so, whatever. So it, it is kind of hit and miss. But I don't, I don't, I don't not get them because of the mercury. I don't get them because of procrastination or laziness or whatever. And I'm certainly never fearful of the mercury and that it, what it's going to do to my brain. Maybe it would knock something loose in her brain and make her understand that they're okay. Mmm, science. This is a big Florida Files, everybody. Unbelievable breaking news. We should have started the show with this particular segment. George Zimmerman is this this episode's installment of the Florida Files. If you've been living under a manhole cover in the sewer with the Ninja Turtles, <laughs> then maybe you don't know who he is, but he is the person that killed Trayvon Martin. That's right. And was acquitted. He was acquitted. Of murdering Trayvon Martin. And 
since that happened, he's had a, a couple of run-ins with the with the law. Several. He got pulled over for speeding, and he had a gun in his car in Texas. Mm-hmm. And then there was another. There was a road rage incident where he threatened to kill, allegedly threatened to kill someone. Right. And then, are you looking at me because you were going to read them, and I'm stealing your thunder? No. Oh. And then, because um, I'm just off the top of my head remembering. If I forget one, let me know. Um, and then there was another one where oh, th- then there was the domestic violence issue with his wife that he that divorced him. Right. And then there was another domestic violence call where he was arrested uh, with a girlfriend. And then she said there were shotguns in the house or whatever. I don't know what happened with that. Oh, I know what happened with that. She she told she dropped the charges, so right. they didn't go forward with it. And then here we are this week. He got arrested again and has been issued an order that he has like forty eight hours to surrender all of his firearms. Right, because he was arrested for aggravated assault. Right, and that's for allegedly throwing a wine bottle at his girlfriend. Nutter. I mean, he's he's unhinged. And this took place at his home, and he's currently out on bail. He mm-hmm. was released on a $5,000 bond on Saturday. And the prosecutors questioned whether substance abuse treatment was needed, but the judge said that that didn't seem to be a factor. So he's just, you know, throwing wine bottles at people's heads uh, sober. You could kill somebody. I mean, you can kill somebody with a lot of things, but a wine bottle is a sturdy implement. That's a that is a blunt instrument if I've ever if I've ever used one on someone. Right. And his attorney told reporters that no injuries, no contact, nothing that I'm aware of that led up to it. It's just one of those things that somehow brought us here. You know, like a typical defense attorney says. Right. Right. He was arrested for aggravated assault because nothing happened. Right. (laughs) It's a weird thing. And this is I'm going to make a confession here. I think I was wrong during the Trayvon thing. I think it was wrong because I was clearly we didn't know about this guy and who he is or anything like that. But I was I thought he was justified in what he did. And I was kind of in that camp. But looking at this guy's character and the many, many, many dust ups that he's had with the law related to and directly having to do with or involving firearms. It seems to me that he probably brought on that situation with Trayvon Martin. Well, obviously, he's aggressive, violent. I mean, you know, when you have an isolated incident, you have the ability to say, well, maybe this was just a fluke. Maybe yeah. maybe something just happened. It was a bad day. But when it continues to happen... Uh, he's he's got He's got control and power issues. He seems to be a guy who really thinks... That he's the in charge. That how dare you cross me? I'm George Zimmerman in traffic. How dare you? I will get my gun and I'll kill you because I'm George Zimmerman. And then obviously has issues with control and power over women. I mean, he's he's unhinged. The guy has a problem. These are some of the specific things that he was he got in trouble for. He was arrested on charges of aggravated assault, battery, and criminal mischief after his then-girlfriend said he pointed a gun at her face during an argument, smashed her coffee table, and pushed her out of the house they shared. The girlfriend decided not to cooperate with detectives and prosecutors didn't pursue the case. Then again, Zimmerman was accused by his estranged wife of smashing an iPad during an argument at the home they shared. 
And she initially told the dispatcher that her husband had a gun, though she later said he was unarmed. No charges were ever filed because of lack of evidence. The dispute occurred days after she filed for divorce papers. Right. Yeah, I remember that. And then he's also been pulled over three times for traffic violations since his acquittal. And, you know, people can say that they can even try to defend the situations with the wife or the girlfriend saying, well, the charges were dropped. They didn't pursue anything. Yeah, they changed that, their stories. That and happens a lot. That is just... That's par for the course for a woman who's being abused. Is it not? In domestic violence type of situations. Right. I mean, that's that's exactly what you expect to happen. Right. Is the woman to, you know, I know of situations where a domestic violence situation has happened and the woman that was abused came to testify on behalf of the, the man who beat her. I right. mean, I, I know the case you're talking about. And there, while a no contact order was in place, she showed up at court right. to defend right. the man who had beaten her. Right. So it's it's tragic. But you can't use... A woman dropping charges as, oh, well, see, nothing happened. Right. No, it probably did. And it's just this woman is a victim right. and, and too fearful or, you know, too not thinking clearly to do the right thing. It's sad that there are this many broken women out there because this issue, this incident, uh, most recent incident with George Zimmerman, the, I've looked at several different articles and I, everything that I've read leads me to believe this is a different woman than the last time with the smashed coffee table. Yeah, I believe so. And that's... Who are these women? I mean... Yeah. God, it's just problematic. Yeah, I would want no part of that I mean, sitch. they're as nutty as him. They have to be. To be drawn to, you know, a, a possible sociopath like this. There's there's definitely something going on. I mean, I, I don't want to say... Right. We were not going to make a di diagnosis. Right. But. but I mean, you're drawn to people for a reason. And, yeah, right. you know, obviously they are working something out in the process of being with him. I, I Who knows what it is. But the other thing that might be good for abuse victims to, to note here is that if he had been prosecuted in those two situations... He could be put away for a long time for this one right here. Right. Because he already has a history of aggravated assault. Right. So, but now he, he doesn't have that on his record, though, because no charges were filed. Right. So this is going to be his first go round if it's actually official. And that's a bummer. Yeah, for sure. Well, that is what it is. It's a good Florida files, though. It might be our best. Mm -hmm. Seriously. So here we're going to end the show. Um, Here's some takeaways, everybody. Get on Twitter. Communicate with us there. Follow the podcast page. Um, get involved. This is not just our show. This is your show, too. 657-464-7609 or email us. I doubt it at dollamore.com. Our Twitter handle is at I doubt it podcast. And uh, be genuine, everybody. Let's move the conversation forward one episode at a time. Let's make this happen. Let's move into 2015 and make this a good year. Let's make a difference this year um, together. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt It. Olive Garden, we support your weight loss plan through diarrhea. Diarrhea.